Welcome back to the program. I'm going to begin by reading the second reading from Mass on Sunday. Uh, Sunday was the Feast of the Holy Family. That's the first Sunday after Christmas. just happened to be the day after Christmas. So it kind of crowded out the Feast of St. Stephen, the first martyr. So we're going to... Um, we're going to read the second reading, and there's a there's a reading for, there's a reason for that. <laughs> it was the it was the second reading at Carrie and my wedding. I thought that was fitting that it appears as one of the options for the second reading because there are a couple of options, and so this was one of them. That it's fitting that a reading that is chosen for the feast of the Holy Family is also one of the readings chosen. Uh, as an option to have read during a nuptial mass. So here we go. Let's begin with this and with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Brothers and sisters, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if one has a grievance against another. As the Lord has forgiven you, so must you also do. And over all these put on love, that is, the bond of perfection. And let the peace of Christ control your hearts, the peace into which you were also called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as in all wisdom you teach and admonish one another, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you and praise you for the gift of family, and for the call we have to be a holy family after the manner of the blessed Lord Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. I ask, Lord our God, for the graces to be encouraged for each and every family who is listening to my voice. Lord, give us the grace to know your will and to fulfill it quickly and completely. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of family. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, today on the program, that second reading, which, uh, again, Carrie and I had at our wedding, I'm going to use it as a, as a basis for reflecting on the gift of the Holy Family the gift of the feast of the Holy Family, and, and the call that is ours, the call that is ours today to be lived out to be a holy family. I uh, think about uh, this um, reality. Actually, I'll just, I'm just going to dive right in. Uh, brothers and sisters, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. I'm just going to stop there. God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Do you realize that you have been chosen, my brothers and sisters, that you've been chosen you have been chosen to be holy and to be beloved, to be one who is the object of love. And I, you know, this is the season of gift giving. I hope and pray that you had a wonderful Christmas celebration. 
we it was, it was a great blessing for us. All my kiddos were home. Uh, we went to Mass on uh, Christmas Eve in the evening, which is our tradition, and then uh, came home and uh, did sibling gifts. Kids, uh, this is really kind of a neat thing where I know at some point it happens, right? At some point it happens where you find more joy in giving gifts than you do in receiving them. And, it, and it's authentic. It's real. It's, I know when you're younger, it's hard to really believe that. There's this sense of measuring and who got more and who got better and how come I and all of these sorts of things. But at some point, it, the, the shift starts. Well, I'm at the point now where I really honestly don't even think about am I receiving any gifts at all. I just enjoy so much watching my kids receive gifts. And, and really the beautiful, I call it this again, this communion of persons, this beautiful idea of the idea that you are uh, watching this giving and receiving of gifts, this giving and receiving of gifts. And there's something very fundamental about that. There's something very foundational. It's at the ground level of, of even our own existence. You, if you listen to Sound Insight, you know that, for me, the, the message, the word that in some ways I feel chosen to bring out into the open, chosen to be a witness to through my very life, is that gift message of St. John Paul II. And it continues to mature and develop in me as I get older. And one of the, the new insights of it is this reality that, you know, as a human being, right, you remember, as a human being, John Paul II said there's a, there's a, there's a concept that helps us understand what it means to be a person, one created in the image of God. And that word is gift. To be, to be, just to be is a gift. And of course, it means on the one hand that all that we are and all that we have has come from God as a gift. We are not our own cause of existence, right? Life is a gift. Everything is a gift. And all the good things that are part of our lives, it's not because of what we've done, it's because of God's mercy, his generosity, his faithfulness. And and, and that's true, that level of all is gift. But John Paul II went on to develop the uh, the second meaning of that that all is gift and that you are a gift as a human being as a person you are a gift and that is that there is an irrepeatable unreplaceable quality to you that you have been born chosen holy and beloved born into this world into this moment in history as a gift from god and there's something unique about you there's something unique, there's irreplaceable quality that is yours that makes you precious. You see, you're created in the image of God, and what that means is, is that through you, just being who you are, through you coming out into the open in the world is some expression and manifestation of the goodness and beauty and truth of God. And as a Christian, as a baptized believer, believing member of the church, there is something about Jesus Christ that becomes manifest in this world through you in a way that no one else in all of history will bring that manifestation of God or of Christ out into the world. That's how singular you are. That's how precious you are. That's how, if you, you know, it uses sort of the, the common word special, you are. And, and to know that, 
to know it at the core of our being, to know it deep down in the depths of our being, that is so very powerful. That can be so very life-changing for people because many people do not know that they are a gift. They are a gift. And that, that's carved, it's etched into the core of your being. And when, when we can look at others and relate to others, in their gift quality, in that quality that is unique and irreplaceable, precious, the never-to-be-seen-again manifestation of who God is as true, good, and beautiful, and who Christ is showing up in this world. When we can sense that about others and relate to them, when we can live that ourselves, everything changes, right? Everything becomes so much more radiant, so much more uh, beautiful, right? There's a, there, there is a, a nobility to existence, there is something at stake in living a worthy human life. Okay, but in recent, in the last couple of years, I've discovered another dimension to the gift quality of your existence. And I love this gift, this dimension of the gift quality of your existence. It's not only that all that you are and all that you have is a gift from God. Not only is it that you're unique and irreplaceable and one of a kind in in all of human history, but the other dimension is this transcendent dimension that gets brought right back to the inner life of the blessed Trinity. Okay, what does that mean? (laughs) What that means is that another way of explaining, another facet of explaining that you're a gift is that you are conceived in the mind of the Father and you were given as a gift from the Father to the Son. That's who you are. Who are you? You are a gift designed and created in the mind of God from all eternity and presented to the second person of the Trinity as a gift. When you think about the inner life of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this infinite, perfect, eternal communion of persons, and you say, what is it about the inner life of God that allows for newness, that allows for surprises, that allows for astonishment to occur within the inner life of the Trinity? One manifestation of it is you, is you. You, you have been beloved, chosen, holy, because the Father has conceived of you as a gift that he delighted, he delights to present to the Son. That dimension of the gift quality is something that I did not hear before. I had never heard before. I had never read it before until I read it in the 1962 Missal. In that Missal, there's a little section called Your Mass, The Mass and Your Life. And in that little explanation of the Mass, which is incredibly profound, it mentions in passing that you are a gift given by the Father to the Son. And it's just like, wow. Like, how precious are you? How important are you? How me, you know, significant are you to God? Well, you are so important, significant. You are of such concern 
to the Father that when you choose to betray your own identity and choose to betray your relationship with God, that's what sin is. It's a betrayal, not just, it's not just breaking God's law, it's breaking God's heart. It's not just uh, betraying a, a law written in your heart, it's betraying the very relationship that establishes all purpose and meaning, all identity uh, that there is to be found in life that goes beyond death and goes beyond circumstances. That's a relationship with God, and sin damages or destroys that relationship. And we who have been cut off from God by original sin and our own personal sin, we are that important to the Father that he sends his Son to die for us, to take away the blockage, to take away the separation that would exist between us and him. He, he turns our sin into a happy fault. And that is so important to remember. It's so important to remember that God's will will be done. A God will do something greater. God's will will be done. Or God will do something greater. And the greater that he did, then even creating us, creating us out of nothing, to display this gift quality in, in these different dimensions, the greater that he did was the happy fault. He took the fault of Adam that won for us so great a Redeemer, Jesus Christ, whom we celebrate his birth into our midst two days ago. And he's the basis of, again, all meaning, all purpose, all truth, all, all life, all, all authentic, lasting, enduring life that we can find individually in our relationships and in our families, in our families. And so just as we're getting launched and reflecting on this beautiful passage from Colossians 3, to just remember that truth, my brothers and sisters, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. You are God's chosen one. You've been chosen to be out of love. You're a gift. You're chosen to be holy because you are beloved. And the truth that you are loved by God goes beyond anything that you could ever do. You cannot stop the Lord from loving you. You can put up a wall, you can put up distance, you can put up a destruction of that conduit of love that, by which you would receive that love and experience that love in a life-giving way. But God does something greater. And so today on Sound Insight, we're coming up against a break. I'm going to continue to reflect on the gift of the Holy Family and encourage you to make an action to help you to experience this gift quality in your families, a beautiful act that you can make, and you can make it today. What is it? I'll tell you in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. Okay, just before the break, I talked about revealing, a big reveal. What, what can you do to foster this sense of gift, this gift quality in your family? It's a practical, concrete thing that you can do. It's something that Carrie and I have done and repeated over the course of almost 28 years now. And it goes all the way back to the crypt church at the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception. It was on March the 10th, 
1994. March the 10th, Carrie was visiting. She was studying at Regent University at the time, finishing her degree. And I was studying at Catholic University. And um, we went to Mass together. We went to the 530 Mass. And after Mass, uh, they close up the shrine. But after Mass, we went to the front, the very front of the crypt church. So the altar in the downstairs of the basilica is sort of uh, in the center. And so you can kind of walk all the way around it. And so if you go back to the far back wall of the crypt church, there's the, um, there's the tabernacle. And right in front of the tabernacle are two kneelers. And so Carrie and I were kneeling in prayer in front of the tabernacle, uh, praying to the Lord. And in my coat pocket was an engagement ring. And so this is something Carrie and I had worked out that uh, we had discerned that we were going to get married. And she wanted some time to process that idea that it would become public, that as soon as I asked her to marry me formally and gave her a ring, well, then it's a visible public act. And so quietly, she was processing this idea that um, we would be, in fact, publicly visible as a couple engaged to be married. And so uh, I was going to wait for her to peacefully get to that place where she said, yes, I'm comfortable, uh, I'm ready. And, uh, and so I waited a couple of weeks, and, and sure enough, she gave me the thumbs up about a week before. So in that week, I scrambled around, did not do a lot of, did not do very good planning, <laughs> did not buy uh, the tiny engagement ring that Carrie has um, from some kind of discount jeweler that I had scoped out. Uh, that was not a very pragmatic me. I just literally jumped out of the car when I saw a jeweler shop, went inside and ended up getting the diamond that I got, be that as it may. Uh, oh, I also had, uh, Carrie had asked me to contact her dad and to ask her mom and dad for permission. And so I did that without her knowing it. I called and, and they were both on the phone and I asked for permission and uh, they willingly gave it. I was very happy for that. They were happy that uh, uh, to support Carrie in, in my getting married. So, so here we are kneeling in front of the tabernacle. And while we're kneeling on these kneelers, I then got down on one knee below the kneeler. So it was actually, <laughs> it was kind of like the smallest distance that someone on their knees ever did to give a ring, uh, to offer a ring to a woman. Uh, I, 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 I'm probably in the top 10. I may not be the lowest, but uh, so there I was. And I got off the kneeler and down to one knee, took out the ring, and I asked her to marry me. And she said yes. And so she was surprised at, uh, not that it was happening, but that it was happening right then. And so it was beautiful. So we, uh, she said yes, put the ring on her finger. We prayed briefly. And then we walked over to our left towards uh, a side chapel um, where they hear confessions. At least they did hear confessions. And on the way to the confessional chapel area, there's a fresco on one of the pillars 
of the Holy Family, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. And Carrie and I went and stood and at the base of that fresco, looking towards it, we consecrated our married life, our time of engagement, and our married life to the Holy Family. We entrusted our engagement, ourselves, our own lives and our relationship and our present and our future, all, everything, into the hands of Jesus, but in a very special way, entrusted into the hands of Jesus, the child of Mary, and the foster child of Joseph. And so looking to Joseph and Mary as ones who would, here, listen to the language now, lead and provide and protect us in our married life and in the journey of living as a family that the Lord would bless us with. No idea, no idea what would come, but that act of entrustment, that act of putting oneself into the hands. So this is the act I'm encouraging you to do. I'm encouraging you to make an act of entrustment, an act of giving over of one's self, one's spouse, your relationship, your children, each of them, and all of them, and your entire family. Those are five entrustments. Those are five handing overs. And, and there's something distinct about them. So don't think that it's just a matter of saying, Holy Family, I give you my family, and you're done. You can parse it out. You can break it down, and you can make a point of focus a point of focus, a point of reflection, the different elements of consecration. So to consecrate has something to do with that, to, to associate with holiness, to associate with godliness. To consecrate means to set apart. It means to set aside and to give over to God for his purposes. That which is consecrated now belongs to the Lord, and now is set apart not only to belong to the Lord, but so that the Lord can invest himself, can operate on, in, and through that which is given to him. So think about the bread and wine going up at the altar at Mass. That bread and wine is consecrated, right? It's consecrated in the liturgical act of the priest, Christ the high priest at work in the priest through the ritual that he has established through the, the mass, the sacred liturgy, and through the canon of the mass, the Eucharistic prayer, there is the prayer of consecration in the midst of that, right? That, that specific act through which God, through the Holy Spirit, turns bread and wine into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, the real presence of Christ, right? That bread and wine, where did that come from? That came from the community. That came from the assembly. That came from us. And what does it symbolize? It symbolizes us. It symbolizes us entrusting ourselves into the hands of the Lord, present in the priest who goes to the altar and offers it in sacrifice. What is sacrificed is made holy. What is made holy is taken out of ordinary usage and set apart for the purposes of God. Did you hear that? 
That which that is what is sacrificed. That is what is made holy. That is what is consecrated. So the act of consecration involves an entrustment. It involves a coming forward and an act of putting oneself into the hands of. Did you see that? That's what happens with the bread and the wine. When you go to mass, you see that handing over. But that can point to a deeper, more fundamental handing over. The spiritual act of our handing over ourselves to the Lord. And this is where I said that there are these five different acts of handing over that are connected to this idea of family consecration. That, yes, I want to do the act of family consecration. Okay, fathers, listen then. If you're going to entrust your whole family to God, it's going to be traced back to this beginning that you can't get beyond, which is your entrustment of your life to God. Oh, by the way, you can only do that because the Lord has entrusted you with life, right? So God has always taken the initiative. But in taking that initiative, he stirs it in you, right, that gift quality, to give yourself back to him. And to give yourself back to him freely, completely, and forever. Did you hear that? Freely, completely, and forever. Freely, you're not forced. There isn't that coercion going on. You make the free act. You're determined. You have that free choice and you say yes to it. It's not just free. It's complete. So it's not partial. It's not, Lord, I consecrate my life to you, but only part of my life. I'll give you... uh, an hour on Sundays, and I'll give you my moral life at least most of the time, but I want to have a lot of my time for my own purposes. And you can be involved, okay? I'll I'll do my best not to break your law. No, no, that's that's not consecration. Consecration is, Lord, I'm all in. All that I am, all that I have, all that has been placed into my hands, I give to you, my time, my treasure, and my talent. All my talents. So think about the ways that your gifts are at his service. Now, your gifts are at his service if you're putting your gifts to use, for instance, in working. And through that working, you're providing for your family materially. That's good. And you're also, if you're using your gifts in ways that you help to shape and mold your kids, maybe you're good at music and you're teaching your kids music or the tendencies of the talent, the inclination to do that. Maybe it's woodworking. Maybe it's doing outside activities. Maybe it's in sports. Right? So those are also other good uses. But the idea of the totality of who I am is in your hands, Lord. Lord, make known to me what you will, and I say yes in advance. It's free, and it's complete. It's a complete act of giving myself over to you. Not only that, it's forever. It's not, well, right now things are so hard Things are so hard that I'm willing to do it right now because my arm is twisted behind my back and it's too painful to be in the situation that I'm in. And so I, I, I just, I give up, I surrender. I, I take it, please take over because it's too much for me. Now, sometimes that's what it takes, especially for guys. We can be pretty stubborn when it comes to giving up and giving over, especially our own lives. So to say that it's given over forever that changes so much of our perspective because life then becomes about honoring the Lord, honoring the Lord now and forever. It, death is no longer this threat, this big 
threat. I was talking to my kids. We were driving to uh, do some skiing. And on the way there, we were driving. They were talking about like it was how cold it was and, and how some people, when they die, they go into some kind of cryogenic freeze uh, uh, situation where they freeze their, their brain, their head, or their whole body moments after death so that decay doesn't step in so that they can be kept in that condition until the physical condition they had would be curable, something like that. And so I can remember, I don't know, it might have been 20, 30 years ago, this was sort of a thing where they had these buildings set apart for people who paid a ton of money <laughs> to have their bodies I'm using the word cryogenically frozen. I don't know if that's even the right word, but you get the idea. And and it was so interesting to listen to the kids talk about it because the kids were like, well, what's so bad about that? That sounds like that's a pretty good deal. And it's like, yeah, but that makes the death seem like, like the worst thing. Is Death isn't the worst thing. Not being able to die is a horrible thing. But when you die, that's how you get home to heaven. Like, why is that a bad thing? So it was really interesting to watch our kids see this perspective of you're putting yourself into the Lord's hands forever. You can try to avoid that act of entrustment into God's hands, but that moment of death is going to require it of you. So live it now. Did you hear what you just, I just said? Living now is preparation for death. It's preparation for the act of dying. Because in the act of dying, ready or not, prepared or not, willing or not, you're going to be making an act of entrustment of your forever into the hands of the Lord. So start doing it now. Entrust your, your forever into God's hands. Do it now. It's very liberating. It's very freeing. And so that is the, that's the first of these five acts of entrustment that are connected to family consecration. And so if you struggle with that, and you heard me say this because I, I say it quite a bit, only because, not only because, I, I say it because I find it very helpful and because I don't read it much in spiritual literature. And it's the act of entrustment reveals the lack of the willingness to entrust that is operating in the world or in many people's lives right now. We don't want to give ourselves over to God. So we rebel. We rebel against that idea. Life has become so comfortable. Life has become so uh, carefree. Life has been controllable so that I enjoy things of this earth so much. I don't want to have all that stuff ripped from me. Then all of a sudden, the idea of entrustment to God at death, that's not something I look forward to because it's ending all the good stuff that I have here and now. And so it's so funny. Carrie and I were talking about this. We were driving back to the house uh, just earlier today, I'm recording this on Tuesday, on Monday, and um, we were talking about married life as sanctifying. This is actually good because it kind of leads into one of the next consecrations, and it has to do with uh, the reading. Okay, so in this reading, I, I'm kind of like so excited, I'm jumping all over the place here. <laughs> uh, in the reading, put on uh, this is again from Colossians chapter 3. It was the reading from Carrie in my wedding, the second reading, uh, the, the nuptial mass. Put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Bearing with one another and forgiving with one another. So important. Why? Well, I'll tell you in a minute on Sound Insight. 
Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. I'm talking about family consecration in its five modes. You make the act of entrustment, consecrating your own life to God. You make the act of entrustment and consecrate your wife's life, your spouse's life to God. You make the act of entrustment of your married relationship to God. You make the entrustment of each of your children's lives to God. And you make the act of entrustment of all of your kids' lives to God. All of those are part of family entrustment. If you're going to consecrate your family to the Lord, these are five facets of the diamond. And that diamond is the act of consecrating your family to God. I'm going to consecrate my whole family to God. It's what Carrie and I did on the day we got engaged. And we had no idea what we were doing. Meaning... Well, we knew what we were doing, but we didn't know what it would mean. We didn't know the meaning of the act, like how this would unfold, how the Lord would say, like, not gotcha, <laughs> but like, you said it, you said it, you, you, you put yourself into my hands, your, your individual life, your, the life of the other, your, your life as a couple. And then any of the future children that God would give you in your family, you put it all into the hands of the Holy Family. You did that right there. And the Lord uses that. He uses that. I, I, maybe he uses that like the courage and the generosity when you're younger and you just are more willing to go all in. Uh, maybe more idealistic, huh? Uh, that that it, there's that freedom, that sense of, of willingness to do that, strive for the heights, all of that sort of stuff. Um, but then the Colossians 3 reading hits, and you start experiencing the need for heartfelt compassion. Heartfelt compassion. Because compassion is suffering with kindness. Love is patient, love is kind. Kindness and patience are in this list. Humility and gentleness, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another if one has a grievance against another. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also do. When Carrie and I got married, we had no idea how powerful and poignant that would be. That beautiful uh, Colossians 3.12. Just that, just that right there all by itself. Because we knew the theology of marriage that somehow through our married life, the Lord was going to make the other a saint. In, in other words, as a result of being married to me, Carrie would become a saint. That's my call. My call, my stewardship, is that Carrie will become the one whom God intends her to be, which is a saint fulfilling her mission. And vice versa, Carrie, through her married life to me, would have me become a saint fulfilling my God-given mission. And we really do talk about that. We really do like have conversations around that. Are you discovering your identity in God? And are you nurturing that identity, growing in holiness, becoming the saint? And are you sensing in this moment of your life's journey, the mission that God has for your life, the purpose for which he has planted you in this moment, given you these gifts, these connections, these abilities, these matured uh, experiences, this this pruning, this cleansing, this uh, 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 being in the furnace, this purification, right? This suffering, all of these things, Lord, why am I going through all these things for, towards what end? And 
I have to say, just on the on the way back, we were talking about wow, you know, part of how I think part of how we thought we would help each other become a saint was through all the positive means. I'm investing in you. I'm sacrificing for you. I'm giving for you. I'm I'm pouring into you so that you're growing and you're nurturing and I'm getting obstacles out of your way, right? All of those things. Those are the really natural ways that we, you know, believe we're going to be the the best cheerleader, the best friend, the best encourager, uh, the one who um, says the best supporter. All all of those things, and the 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 answer is yes. And did we ever think that we would be for each other at times, at times, at times the biggest obstacle, at times the one who is the biggest cross, the source of suffering, the one who is introducing a, a trial, a difficulty, the, the daily the daily crosses that come from the ways that being complementary, not being the same, complementary, can be conflictual, can be diverging rather than enriching, or the way that um, the way that our own journeys we haven't arrived yet, and what that means is is that sin is still at work, the flesh is still operative, concupiscence that urge towards sin is still part of our lives. We don't get to choose to say, let's have bad days together and let's have good years together. That's not how it works. <laughs> and so it was one of those things where it was like looking at each other thinking, you know, when, when God said that, he, you know, he brought us together, or the church's teaching is that God called us to be together as a husband and a wife so that we could foster sanctity in each other did we really realize that a lot of this was going to be more of the cross than the resurrection? We were going to be more uh, Pilate, the one condemning one to carry the cross and scourging, rather than Simon who comes under and helps Jesus carry the cross, um, or Veronica wiping the face. Now maybe, maybe, there's a, maybe there's a reflection there on the way in which couples could take a look at the entirety of the stations of the cross and say, where are you, O spouse, in this way of the cross that I'm walking? So I think that's one of those uh, reality checks, like maybe not an ice bucket challenge, but a reality test to say, don't be surprised if your marital journey is the way that the Lord says, I've drawn near to you in a special way to help you become holy because it's your holiness that matters. It's your holiness that endures. It's your holiness that will be the best source of protection, provision, and leadership for this family. You see, remember, we were consecrated to the holy family, that which marks in the most distinctive way this family of Nazareth, made up of Joseph, the Blessed Mother, St. Joseph, Blessed Mother, and, and the Lord Jesus, is that it is the holy family. It is the place where God dwells. It is the place where divinity comes out into the open. That's where God's glory is radiant, manifest, and present. 
And the Lord wants that for our families too. And so digging in now, again, these five consecrations, the first consecration is yours. You've got to begin and go back to that one, your consecration. The second is the entrustment you make of your spouse. Do not doubt the value and importance of every day praying for your spouse. It's part of the fruit of the consecration of one's whole family to God is that you'll find that you're praying for your spouse. But here's the thing. When you start praying for your spouse, like when I pray for Carrie, one of the things that pops up really every day is the, the reality that there are things I'm praying for that I don't have the ability to change. I don't. Conversion is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's a work of God's grace. It's something that the, the Lord will prompt from the inside and move carry to. But I can pray for that. I can sacrifice for that. But it's the Lord who's going to undertake that work. So I can entrust carry. I can entrust her into the Lord's hands and into the Lord's heart. But it's not just that sense of identity. It's also that sense of purpose. So the other way that I pray for Carrie is for her heart's desires to be fulfilled. In, in a number of important moments in our married life, as part of this, I don't know if I consciously connected it to the consecration of, of Carrie and my married life into the hands of the Holy Family, but I would pray to the Lord and I'd say, Lord, either fulfill her heart's desire or change it. Lord, you are true to your, you're faithful to your word, you're faithful to your promises. And so fulfill her heart's desire or change it. And so uh, do not doubt the way that the Lord has connected through relationships his will to answer petitionary prayer. That my wife praying for something is aided, is supported, is multiplied in its fruitfulness when I pray along with her. When I, as the God-assigned husband of Carrie, the Lord honors that. He honors the relationships he establishes. And so every day I do encourage you, put your spouse into the Lord's hands. And that can be so helpful when you are in a situation where your spouse is being for you a trial, a cross, a difficulty, a challenge, where your husband or a wife is facing those challenges and you're powerless to do anything about it. Make that act of entrustment of your spouse into God's hands. More on this in a minute in Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. I'm reflecting on the Feast of the Holy Family, which was Sunday. It's the, the first Sunday after Christmas. And one of the actions that was encouraged this year was the act of consecration of one's family to the Holy Family, the Holy Family of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. And, uh, you know, I, I just have to tell the joke. It's, uh, it's not, uh, it's not uh, sacrilegious, but it's kind of funny. Like when Jesus, Mary, and Joseph are around the table and all of a sudden things start going off, you know, there's a little bit of grumbling and there's a little bit of impatience. Everyone looks to Joseph. 
<laughs> just, Joseph is like, my fault. Yep. Okay. I'm going to own this one again. Yep. Because <laughs> you got the son of God and you got the sinless, uh, blessed mother. Uh, and so they just look at Joseph and he's like, okay, this one's on me again. <laughs> All right. However, it, it is in our tradition that after the blessed mother, St. Joseph was the greatest saint in the history of the church. And it makes sense if you think about what his mission was. His mission was to be the foster father of Jesus, the, the, the custodian, the one entrusted with the care of Jesus as an infant. And, oh, by the way, of the Blessed Mother, the most perfect creature in the history of humanity. The Blessed Mother, he, as her husband, her in-law, uh, the husband of Mary, was entrusted with the, to lead, provide, and protect Mary and Joseph. So, I, I, men, how can you not go to Joseph? Go to Joseph, right? The Old Testament phrase, go to Joseph. And, uh, and, and ask him for intercessory support as you're attempting to lead, provide, and protect your family. So I, my last word of encouragement when, when I just was talking about this second consecration where you're not only entrusting your own life into God's hands, but you're entrusting your spouse's life into God's hands because of the way in which your spouse will undergo trials and difficulties, will face sufferings and crosses, and the Lord is going to honor the relationship he established as you pray for them. So put your spouse into the Lord's hands. Do it at Mass. Put him right up on the altar. I'm saying him because I know it's often the men that can be more of a cross. Well, I guess women, wives maybe have their equal share, but boy, it can feel like men are often putting heavy crosses on, the, on their wives' lives especially today with internet pornography and sarcasm, harsh treatment, being closed down emotionally, just basic things like that, uh, that can make it really hard for a woman who is hungering and thirsting, yearning for spiritual leadership, provision, and protection from her husband. But God bless us poor husbands. How many of you had any formation at all in this vision of being, um, being a Catholic husband? Like so few, so few received almost any formation in that spiritual vision of what it means to to be a, a Catholic husband fulfilling the God-given um, tasks, mission. Okay, so the third, the third entrustment is of the relationship itself. So, you know, you, you're going to entrust yourself, consecrate yourself to the Lord into the hands of the Holy Family. You're going to entrust the hands, the, the life of your spouse into the hands of the Holy Family, but also the relationship. Also the relationship, you see, because the two shall become one. And as the two become one, I already highlighted the fact that there are ways in which the complementarity will shine and will enrich each other. But there are also ways in which, as you journey together and you face an unexpected cross or difficulty or trial, or you just are in living together, see some of the ways that you're not complementary, that can lead to a crisis. That can lead to a difficult time. And not everyone knows how to get through that time. Well, the Lord does. The Lord will be your rock. But entrust the relationship. Entrust the husband-wife relationship into the hands of the Holy Family into the hands of Joseph and Mary, who live the most perfect life of husband and wife. Let them pray for you. 
let them intercede for you. Maybe you'll be like in that situation at the wedding feast at Cana. They have no more wine. It was the Blessed Mother who brought the situation to the attention of Jesus and that prayer was heard and answered in the most spectacular way. Watch what the Lord will do in your regard. And so make that act of consecration for the couple, for your lives as a couple. Now, that's a very beautiful thing, but then that can also lead to the next consecration, which is for the children. Now, when Carrie and I did it, we did it in the abstract when we first were engaged. We came before the fresco of the Holy Family and any future children God would give us, but we had no idea the journey of parenting that God would put into our lives. And, and I'm not here to rehash that, but just to say, in all of the different ways that the Lord blessed us with children and also introduced a variety of sufferings and crosses into our lives through our children, the idea of entrusting the individual child into the hands of the Lord is so very important. It is so very important. I, to this day, I'm entrusting my children, each and all, each by name. I name my children. And, and I'll pause as I'm putting these children into the Lord's hands in case the Lord would stir in me something specific to pray for. Because the Lord honors the authority that he has given to me as the father to lead, provide, and protect my children, that he will honor that. So I want to give space for the Lord to stir in me that which he is waiting to honor. And so part of consecration to the Holy Family is the consecration of each of your children into the hands of the Lord. And boy, let me tell you, as your kids get older, they're going to face very distinct challenges where it'll be, um, it'll be uh, again, fruitfully used by the Lord to answer your prayers for that child. And when you can entrust, 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 you, you're going to feel less anxiety or, or to try to control, fix, figure it out, make it happen on your own, because that's going to happen all the time. Not all the time. It happens regularly, for me anyways. But the idea of surrendering, 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 and then the Lord brings back to me, okay, what am I supposed to do as well? But if, what I'm supposed to do first is entrust. Because they're God's children before they're mine. And so then that leads me to the last of the entrustments that are part of this consecration of your family to the Holy Family. And that's all of your children, your children as a whole. And so that's something where, again, I will pray for my kids, not just each of them, but for all of them. And so in praying for all of them, I pray for things like for their vocations, for their faith and growth in holiness, right? It really does focus around identity and purpose, vision and mission. Uh, the idea of growing to become a saint through an intimate, personal, profound, life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ and of the Blessed Trinity, each of the persons of the Trinity, and the discovery and the saying yes courageously, quickly, and completely to the God-given mission that the Lord has for their lives. I mean each of those things that I just said, by the way. Those weren't just casually thrown together link, uh, 
lists of words. No, it has to do with you're called to be a saint fulfilling the mission for which he has placed you here. And my stewardship is to help my kids get to heaven. And they get to heaven by living a life on earth that will help them become a saint and fulfill their God-given mission. I got to tell you, making that kind of consecration, consecrate your whole family to God, you get everybody now. Everyone's in on that. Lord, I give you my whole family. I consecrate my whole family to you. Lord, I consecrate myself. I consecrate my wife. I consecrate our relationship. I consecrate my children, each of them and all of them. Lord, I give you my whole family. I consecrate my whole family to the most sacred, the most holy family of Nazareth. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Mary and Joseph, please pray for my family. Pray for the families of those who are listening, that they might be stirred to make such an act of consecration, an act of discovering and living the gift that the Lord intends not only them to be, but the communion of persons that their married life is supposed to be, and the communion of persons that their family is supposed to be. Lord, let it be so. Let it be so, Lord. Surprise us and shock us with how you bless us. Thank you for that, Lord. Well, I'm coming up against the end of my program. I hope and pray that this was a blessing to you. Remember now, it is the Christmas season, and so there is still more to come of the celebration of the Nativity. We are living in the, um, the octave of Christmas, these eight days that allow for the full reality of the grace of Christmas to be experienced by us. And so my hope and prayer is that this program will be part of helping you experience what the Lord intends for you. One of the beautiful signs of that is that Sunday after Christmas, the Feast of the Holy Family. My hope and prayer is that your family will draw near to, hide and seek refuge and discover it in the hearts of the Holy Family and that you'd experience the beautiful, powerful intercession of the Immaculate Heart of our Mother Mary, of St. Joseph, her most chaste spouse, as they shepherd you through their leadership, provision, and protection into the most sacred heart of Jesus. Jesus, love us and have mercy on us. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you all. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.